Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are undone and we lament a horrific week. We are a broken people living in the midst of a broken people. We continue to pray for the family, George Floyd, who was brutally struck down in Minneapolis. He was not only an image bearer, but he was a believer, a brother in Christ. And Lord, we just ask you to have mercy on his family and have mercy on us with the words that we say that we would be instruments of peace who stand firm on truth, actively rejecting all forms of violence, racism, and injustice. We ask that you give strength and protection to the police officers all across our country who are unfair targets at the moment and who face a lot of backlash and they need strength and they need wisdom and they need discernment how to navigate it's a difficult situation. Their jobs are difficult as it is, but this is another level. So we pray for their protection. We pray for their wisdom. And Lord, we don't want it to make it sound like an afterthought, but we pray for the families of the 100,000 who've died from this virus in our country and around the world. We ask for mercy and intervention. And we ask that you would enable us to minister without fear and offer compassion to those who are afraid and hurting. Lord, may we operate out of a spirit of trust, faithfulness, brokenness, lamenting, looking to you for grace and mercy in the cross of Christ. Use us as instruments, as your healing, as you continue to heal us. And may we look to you and to you alone and be shaped by you and you alone, especially right now from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's store this sermon that I'm about to preach in the archives of our church to be pulled out if we ever hit an emergency. Because the focus of the text this morning is going to be on unity in the midst of tension and division. And though I am preaching it to a church, that I believe is unified. We have the potential, as all churches, for division and clashes. So the emphasis this morning is going to be addressing the church from the Word of God of the goal of unity and serving one another, and I'm going to preach it, try to at least, as if I'm speaking to a church that is divided, which you're not, as I'm speaking to a church that has potential for division, which we all do, but I want you to also see this as a preventative measure to keep the church unified and rallying around Christ and His kingdom and we're all of us moving in the same direction for the glory of God because I want to tell you right now, there is nothing more painful than being a part of a divided church. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. 
I do not recommend it. It is painful. It rips you at the core of your being. You see, when a church is divided, they're not focusing what they're supposed to be focusing on. That is the Great Commission, the Great Commandment to love one another, to disciple one another, see people come to Christ, love one another, and to see the Gospel expand through church planning and evangelism. Because when a church is divided, a lot of that comes to a halt. You'd be painful. And it just cuts you right to the heart. And I don't want us ever to go there. So this is kind of a preventative Word of God screaming at us to pay attention because every church is susceptible to division, even ours. And as we look at Philippians 2 this morning, we see a church that may be sliding into a variety of problems. Paul senses a division within the church, and he wants to get out ahead of it before it turns into an out-of-control fire. You see, often you want to speak about division before it happens. It's as if you want to, to get ahead and be on the front end of it, because guess, guess what? Because when you preach about division in the midst of division, a lot of people aren't listening to you, right? Because they're already dug in, and they say, I know what you're doing, Pastor. I'm not going to fall for it. Let that not be us. We want to get out ahead of it. We want to talk about division. So if it ever comes creeping our way, we'll know how to function and act within it. Paul has been speaking leading up to chapter 2 that they need to stand firm in one spirit, contend for the faith as one man without being frightened by those who oppose them. But just as they are to be unified when facing the opponents of the world, by the way, when the opponents of the world attack us, the church tends to remain unified and, and function stronger. But when the, the, there's tension and pressure within, then the church is very tempted to divide and, and go after each other. Steve Brown, he describes how Christians often act. He explains that when, when a group of thoroughbred horses face attack, they stand and face each other and they kick out at their enemies. But when donkeys face attack, they do the opposite. They face their enemies and they kick each other. We don't want to be that. We don't want to be those who are kicking each other. It sounds ridiculous. We want to be unified. And so Paul is getting out ahead of the potential conflicts. And he's going to say three very important things. Number one, He's going to talk about motivation for unity. And number two, he's going to give a command for unity. And three, he's going to be given an application of unity. And once again, this is a big deal. The world is divided. Our country is divided. The village is divided. We cannot let the divisions of the world ever permeate the church. We must stand strong, unified in one spirit, one mind, moving in the same direction. It may not seem like a big deal right now, but this is a big deal. So let's start with Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Motivation for unity. Let me read it to you. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion. You see what Paul's doing? He's drawing them into the very essence and experience of being a believer. He wants them to consider all the benefits they have 
to being in Christ. He gives this kind of fourfold motivation, these if statements. These are like rhetorical questions, and it's a way that Paul shows what's true. Look at it again. He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, are you encouraged to know Jesus Christ? He died for you, right? Buried, rose, you trust Him. He's given you life eternal. Are you encouraged? Of course you are. He says, if there is any consolation of love, are you comforted by the love of the Father through Jesus Christ that He loves you? He stays with you. He sticks with you. Are you comforted by His love? Of course you are. Look at the next one. If there's any fellowship of the Spirit, do you have sweet fellowship with the Holy Spirit of God? The Holy Spirit indwells every believer, which confirms our relationship with God and also gives us a sweet fellowship with one another. Do you find peace and comfort in your soul through the fellowship of the Spirit? Of course you do. And the last one, he says, if any tenderness and compassion. Have you experienced the tenderness and compassion of Christ? He is tender with you. His heart is compassionate with you. Do you believe that you've been saved through the compassion and tenderness of Jesus? Of course you do. It's like a coach talking to his football team. He's like, look, you got on your helmet. You got on your pads, right? Your shoulder pads and you got your pant pads on. Now get out there and hit somebody. It's just what you do. And if you're a believer in Christ, you've experienced encouragement. You're united with Christ. You have His love. You have His forgiveness. You have fellowship with the Spirit. You have tenderness and compassion. You are a believer. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to be unified. It's just what you do. You see, Paul is bringing them back to the Gospel. And if you find yourself wanting to attack one another, you've got to come back to the Gospel. Are you saved? Have you have a testimony of your salvation, of testimony of when you were baptized as well, right? A testimony of the beginning. Are you saved? If so, reflect back on your salvation and your continued salvation and be unified. So that's the motivation. Now he goes to the command. The command is, is pretty simple. Look at verse 2. Make my joy complete. That's it. <laughs> that's it. That's the, that's the command. Make my joy complete. Paul wants them to complete his joy by living in unity. They have so many blessings in Christ, and he wants his joy completed by seeing them unified. And what's ironic here is that Paul is in jail. He is facing trial and execution, yet his focus is not on release from prison. His focus is on the unity of the church. He sees some instances of division. In fact, when we hit chapter 4, we'll see some of the co-workers of Paul are going at each other. He senses some of these division. And he says, you know what? When I see that, that doesn't give me joy. So make my joy complete. As a pastor, I have so much joy when a church is unified. Gives me joy. But it gives me so much pain and heartache when a, a church is divided. Not only does it, I feel it down in my soul, but it, it also attacks my body. It's so weird. Over the past 23 years of ministry, when I've had to deal with division within the church, it starts attacking me physically. I've, I've got some extra back pains and some, some eyes and some head pains. And One time I've had borderline breakdown crash due to all the divisions within the church because it impacts me not only in my soul, but in my body. And so I, along with Paul, want to say, make my joy complete. And, and you might 
and you may say, well, that, that doesn't seem very healthy, Pastor. You need to come in, and you need to clock in, and then you need to clock out, and you need to go home and not, not think about the church at all. But it doesn't work like that. It's not that I'm making the church an idol, but the church, quote unquote, is my life. Like Paul, he said that he daily bears the burdens of the church. He daily has his mind and heart filled with the pressures within the church. And he says, that way, I want you to know, I want some joy and I want it complete. So please get along with one another. Be unified. Make my joy complete by living in harmony and unity. So he gives us the motivation. He gives us the command. And now it's the hard part. It's the application. What does this really look like? Come on, let's just get real. What, is, what does unity look like? Look at verse 2. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Being in the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit and purpose. This sameness does not mean that we all dress the same, act the same, think the same, like these programmed ro robots, right? We're unique individuals created in the image of God. But we are to be on the same page and the same mind and the same purpose. We are to keep Christ and His kingdom central. All else will flow out of us as we enthrone Christ over our hearts and keep Him central. But I'm going to ask the question right now that's going to show you what the problem is. I'm going to ask a question that's going to show you the tension and the rub. And here's the question. Feel free to write it down if you want. What issues do we unite around and what issues do we break fellowship over? That's the main question, right? What issues do we unite around and what issues do we break fellowship over? Then there's no way I can possibly answer that in one sermon. It would take about 20 to 50 to 100 sermons. What issues do we unite around and what issues do we break fellowship over? So I'm going to kind of give it to you like this. There are close-handed issues and there are open-handed issues the close-handed issues are the issues we are not going to budge on we're not going to budge on so here's here's some examples close-handed issues jesus christ is the great god man not budging he lived a perfect life not budging we're not budging on the virgin birth or the resurrection of jesus Throw that out, you have no Christianity. We're not budging on the inerrancy of the Bible. We're not budging marriage just between a man and a woman only. Jesus is the only way to the Father, not budging. The value of human life in the womb and outside of the womb, people have value no matter their ethnic background or color of their skin. We're not budging. We're going to hold on to these and many more. And we will fight, right, to hold on to those. They're closed-handed. But then you have open-handed issues. Now, the open-handed issues that we can discuss, these are open-handed. So don't fight me on these. We can have different opinions on the timelines of eschatology. That's talking about end-of-the-world stuff. We can have different opinions on the frequency of communion or the styles of worship or the continuation of the spiritual gifts and other issues like that. And, and, you, and, you, and you can say, well, how can you tell if a church 
is battling over closed hand or open-handed issues. And, and I would say one of the ways that you can tell, it's a, lot of, a lot of things can be nuanced, but one of the ways you can tell is that when these issues start to drag you away from the Great Commission within the church, those need to be evaluated. If a church starts to wander further and further away from the Great Commission and the Word, right? Then, you know, hey, hey, come back to the Word. Come back to the Great Commission. Like, we want to be unified on these issues. But keep in mind the close-handed and open-handed issues. And we move in one spirit. But we all know it's not issues always that disrupt the unity of the church. Because we can all agree theologically on the same thing. Because, you know, one of the other things that really messes up a church is people and their attitude and their pastors have issues and attitudes. Me? So that's why we need verses 3 and 4 to deal with the attitudes. Look at verse 3. He says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. To sum this up, unity comes through humility. Unity comes through humility. And humility is great to talk about, but it's a whole another thing to practice it. That's why Paul says, you know what? You need to regard one another as more important than yourselves. That's pretty specific. But those of you who have hard heads and perhaps even hard hearts and you don't quite understand what that means, he says, do not merely look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Uh, another Bible paraphrase says, put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. It means giving preferential treatment to others. It means letting others have the credit, letting others get ahead, pulling others up and trying to keep them up. Because humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And I'm going to give you a C.S. Lewis quote. I rarely quote C.S. Lewis because it feels like every pastor always quotes C.S. Lewis, but I'm going to do it right now. So listen to this. He showed that true humility is evident when a man who designs the most beautiful cathedral in the world, are you with me? A man who designs the most beautiful cathedral in the world and knows that it's the most beautiful cathedral in the world would have been just as pleased if someone else had designed it. It's a heart of humility. And when this passage says, regard one another as more important than yourselves, or considers others more important than yourselves, that word right there for consider has the idea of calculate, like math. I've heard this calculation in math explained as adding up all the needs of others and at the same time, subtracting your personal interest. And what you end up with is the bottom line that most which benefits the other. Okay, so do that math again, okay? Add up the needs of others. Subtract your personal interest. And what you end up with is the bottom line, that which most benefits others. Because people are not a means for your self-promotion, but opportunities to serve. And I find this gets most difficult when you're dealing with specific people because it's been said, you know, we can love humanity in general. It's individuals we have issues with. So I'm going to give it to you in a way where I want you to think of someone that you have difficulties with. 
Think of someone you have, you have difficulties with. And don't be surprised if someone else is thinking about you right now, but think of someone you have difficulties with. And I've put this as an insert in your bulletin. I think this may be a good prayer or something good to go over with this week. It says this. Here's a very helpful statement. Following Christ's example, and by the Holy Spirit's enablement, I will reject self-seeking glory and vain pride, and I will strive to humbly regard, whoever that person is, as more important than myself. Rather than constantly looking out for my own interest, I will also look out for the interest of, put their name in. Basically, we're saying don't wait for opportunities to serve. Find them. And serve those that are difficult to serve. And as we think about our church, division in the church is the worst pain, but unity is the sweetest joy. And I want to leave you with a few things to think about from a man who thought about unity in the body of Christ all the time. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You may know him. And he thought about unity and ways that we can eradicate this selfish ambition. And I'm going to leave you with the seven principles for eradicating selfish ambition. And here's a guy who laid down his life, right? So let me, let me read these things to you, and you can just think about them for your own benefit, living within this body of Christ. Number one, Christians should hold their tongues, refusing to speak uncharitably about a Christian brother or sister. We could just say amen and stop right there. Hold your tongue. Hold your social media tongue. And refuse to speak uncharitably about a Christian brother or sister. Number two, cultivate the humility that comes from understanding that they, like Paul, are the greatest sinners who can only live in God's sight by His grace. That's what we just talked about, of seeing that we have fellowship with the Spirit encouragement in Christ, comfort in His love, affection and compassion. Number three, listen long and patiently so they will understand their fellow Christian's need. Listen long and patiently so they will understand their fellow Christian's need. Another way to say this is stop talking. Because the more you talk, you can't hear what other person is saying and the needs that they have. So listen. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. The next is refuse to consider their time and calling so valuable that they cannot be interrupted to help with unexpected needs, no matter how small or menial. This church is so good at that. You guys are so good at putting stuff on holding and running over to serve one. You, you guys are good at that. You really do that excellently. The next one. Bear the burdens of their brothers and sisters in the Lord, both by preserving their freedom and by forgiving their sinful abuse of that freedom. This basically means that we need to care for other people even when their pain is self-inflicted. It's hard to care for other people when they're messing up their own life, right? We need to care for them. We need to help bear their burdens. The next one. Declare God's word to their fellow believers 
when they need to hear it. Once again, this church is really good at that. Giving each other the word. What does the word say? In our small groups, Sunday schools, interactions, what does the word say? And lastly, understand that Christian authority is characterized by service and does not call attention to the person who performs the service. And this is a word to pastors and those in leadership that's all about serving. Christian authority is about serving and not trying to draw attention to myself or those in leadership. My brothers and sisters, it's a painful time in the world. Do not let the divisions in the world permeate the church. May we stay strong of one mind, of one heart. May we humble ourselves and really consider others better than ourselves for their sake and the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, I do ask that you would make us wise in not just taking a general message on unity and assuming that it has no particular application to our lives. Help us to pursue those people who are difficult and may we be able to be open to be pursued by others who consider us difficult. Father, I do ask that you would show us that we are saved by grace. Apart from your grace, we would not be here this morning. We would not be reconciled to you. And may we reach across and seek reconciliation with others where that is necessary, in our families, with our kids, with our parents, with our brothers, with our sisters, with our spouses. Lord, may we be those who pursue reconciliation. And we be, may we be peacemakers in our families, in our church, and in our world. Peacemakers. Not quick to hop on the latest gossip. Not quick to just jump at the latest division. But those who are humble who walk with you in humility and who speak truth and wisdom with humility as we follow you, our Lord Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen. When life gets you down and you feel more broken than whole When your wounds grow deeper than words and you can't tell the soul I may not know what you're going through May not can make that high mountain move But one thing I found That I really want you to know If it matters to you it matters to the master he wants to share the burdens you bear whisper peace when your world gets shattered if it's your greatest joy or your deepest pain or you're really needing an answer if it matters to you it matters to the Master. Friend, do you think the maker and giver of life is far too busy to care about your trouble and strife He sees the sparrow that falls to the ground He 
Here's the tears that don't make a sound If you only knew how precious you are in his sight If it matters to you It matters to the master Wants to share the burdens you bear. Whisper peace when your world gets shattered. If it's your greatest joy or your deepest pain or you're really needing an answer, if it matters to you, it matters to the master. If it's your greatest joy, or your deepest pain, or you're really needing an answer, if it matters to you, it doesn't only matter to you. If it matters to you, it matters to the Master. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.